Welcome to this edition of the Poetry Tea Time broadcast. My name is Julie Bogart and I'm your host. Poetry Tea Time is a practice that originated in my own family. I have five kids I homeschooled for 17 years. We used to sip tea, read poems, and eat treats at least once a week, and to be honest, sometimes more. I hope you'll enjoy today's broadcast and take advantage of our website where we give you all kinds of ideas for how to enrich your poetry tea times. Thanks for joining me today. I would like to introduce you to Marilyn Singer. She's a children's author of over 77 books. Do you have a higher count than that now? Over 100. Over 100. Good heavens. That's an old statistic. Fabulous. Very nice to meet you, Marilyn. I'm excited to hear about you and about your poetry. I'm in the library this morning, and I actually went on your books. Holy smoke. I'm glad the library has so many of my Oh my gosh, they had a ton. This one I loved. Oh my god. This book is called The Boy Who Cried Alien. Well, I'm so glad to meet you. And so maybe we can start with this one because I just enjoyed it so much. The Boy Who Cried Alien. Where did that come from? And how did you think about writing it? Well, let's see. Um I I always wanted to write um a story in, in poems. Uh, but I didn't want to write a novel. <laughs> <laughs> so smart. <laughs> too much work. So, so uh, I, you know, a picture book seemed like the right thing to do. And one of the, cra- I'm a person who really likes challenges. So one of the things I set out to do was create an alien language and have poems in the alien language. And the book is about a, a Larry the Liar who lies all over the place, the boy who cried wolf, obviously, but he really does see these aliens land and nobody believes him until they see the aliens themselves. That's what the book is essentially about. And um, he helps them get back to their planet, their, uh, their ship crash. So I decided I wanted to write an alien language for the aliens. And the poems uh, in the alien language had to rhyme, which is really, really difficult um, and on top of that, I decided I would write literal translations of the poems, and then I would write literary translations of the poems, and the literary translations also had to rhyme. And my editor said to me, you are insane, and I said, yes, I am. <laughs> but I really got to appreciate translators after that, especially anybody who has to translate poetry, because it's Really, really, really difficult. So that's how that came about. And, and there is a uh, back matter that explains. Oh, how- I, that was my favorite part of the whole book. I just love how you explain how you created the language, what the grammatical rules were. And then I loved your literary translations. And it reminded me so much of um, two things that we advocate in Brave Writer. Um, we talk about secret codes and helping mm-hmm. kids secret codes it's a very interesting way into writing for children like uh-huh. they almost don't feel like they're writing but they are using language and they are you know creating mystery and secrecy and I remember as a kid did you watch zoom do you remember that tv show years and years ago it was no a- I think <laughs> it was on pbs 
But anyway, they created these languages called Ubby-Dubby where you could talk in code. And like what you're saying, I just found it fascinating and I liked the complexity. And so this to me was really delightful and also something that children could actually do if they wanted to. They could take these rules and apply them and attempt to craft their own poems, right? Have you seen kids do that? Yes, and I think that kids make up their own language all the time. Oh, but sometimes adults do, but we often forget that we can do that. Um, That's true. One of my favorite books was Frindle. By, oh, yes, uh, love that book. No, because there's a how does a word become a word? Yeah. So I always love that, and I and I love what you say about codes because I think that that's that's true. I think that that. Uh, takes the fear maybe out of language and it certainly takes the fear out of poetry because it's yeah. so silly, you know, and yeah. yeah. So um, yeah, I appreciate your saying that. I think that's really cool. Yeah, no, I loved it. I, and what you just said about translating, it made me um, think about Seamus Haney's translation of Beowulf. Where oh, I had read, but yeah. Oh, it's incredible because he does what you just said. He tries to retain the rhyme scheme in English, in modern English, mm-hmm. but also mirror and match the spirit of and meaning of the original and what a challenge that is. Yeah, you know? a very big challenge. Um, so I really did get to appreciate translators a lot. I love that. That's just wonderful. So tell me a little bit about these reverso poems. Um, let's see. Well, what would you like me to tell you about them? So, okay. So if a child were to think about writing a reverso, what is the process that you have to go through to make sure that the forward and backward match? Like how much rewriting do you use? Post-it notes? What's your process look like? Okay. First, let me describe what a reverso is for those people who don't know. Yes. A reverso is one poem with two halves. You read the first half down the way you would read any poem, and then you read it with the lines reversed, with changes only in punctuation and capitalization. And the second half has to say something completely different from the first half, or it is what one blogger's kid called a SAMO, which is the funniest SAMO. If it says the same thing, it's just a SAMO. So I really have I know, it's really cute. So can you read us a poem first so we can hear it and then explain the process? Oh, I forgot to say okay. that that would be something. Yeah, I didn't read the book. Yeah, sure, let me, um, okay, I will read you In the Hood, which okay. I uh, often read as a classic example. So Mirror, Mirror is my first book of reversos, and all of the poems in it are based on fairy tales or about fairy tales, the opening Love and closing it. about fairy tales. This one is based on Little Red Riding Hood. And uh, the first speaker in the first half is Little Red, and you can figure out who the second speaker is in the second half. In my hood, skipping through the wood, carrying a basket, picking berries to eat, juicy and sweet. What a treat! But a girl mustn't dawdle. After all, Grandma's waiting. After all, Grandma's waiting mustn't dawdle. But a girl, what a treat. Juicy and sweet, picking berries to eat, carrying a basket, skipping through the wood. In my hood. 
Wow, that <laughs> is incredible. I got chills. I, I love reading that poem because it's fun to be the wolf. <laughs> Isn't it? And I and you know, your dramatic reading of it is what really draws out that reverse meaning. Thank you. That's brilliant. Oh, I picture that movie, Into the Woods, the musical, the Sondheim. Yeah, many times. Yeah. Sure. We have a project in Brave Rider that is based on fairy tales where kids create creative narration responses to fairy tales. And to me, giving them the opportunity to play with this form would be so powerful. Thank you for that. I saw um, one uh, class, a couple of classes actually that I that I uh, spoke to. They had they worked in pairs, so oh, smart. One you know one would create the first half, the other would create the second, but they would have to work together to make sure that they meshed. And then they would read them out loud. Yeah. Reading them out loud is really important. In fact, I, I would suggest a lot of kids just start with reading these out loud, and that you know. Help them get it. Get you the, the flavor of what to do. So you asked me about, pro- all right, so the, that's a reversal. Yes. And what happened was, first of all, as I said, I'm crazy. I love to challenge myself. I used to, when I was in high school, I used to play with form, poetic forms. And then I saw, you know, haiku and sonnets and yes. stuff. Yes. And then I, I found them very restrictive. So I just wanted to do free verse. When I started writing for children, I got interested in form again. And I was writing some haikus and some sonnets again, some uh, triolets, syncanes. Uh, I wrote my first villanelle for children. Love it. And I think playing with form al- allowed me to, you know, to really experiment. So one day I was sitting on the sofa. I'm going to read you the, ba- the poem that's in the back matter. And my cat was sitting in a chair across from me. And this is what came out. A cat without a chair, incomplete. Incomplete, a chair without a cat. (laughs) Nice. So that little poem just amused me and it excited me. And I thought, I wonder if I could write more poems like this. Wow. So I decided I would try. And I wrote a whole batch of poems. They were not all fairy on fairy tales. I showed them to an editor who actually said, well, I don't think I can publish these, but I think you should continue. And I think you should base all of them on fairy tales. Wow. It struck me as a really interesting idea. And I, I figured, well, let's see. I could write a reverso uh, based on one character with two points of view. I, I could write a reverso based on one character at two points in time, such as Cinderella before and on her way to the ball. Oh, nice. I could write two characters, which I was in, I just read you an example yes. of that. And so I did. And uh, Dial, which is part of Penguin, picked it up, and that was how Mirror Mirror got published. And since then, I've done Follow Follow, which is more fairy tales, and Echo Echo, which is based on Greek mythology, and that just came out oh, really uh, about a month ago. Oh. Process is very hard to describe. I've tried to describe this many times. First of all, I can't write these all the time. I have to be in a certain games playing frame of mind. Interesting. Games. Yeah. Uh, did you say game playing frame of mind? Games playing. Yeah, yeah. I like word games a lot, and I have to be in that state in order to write them. But there are some tips, some little things that, you know, I tell people that I do. 
One is one thing is that I use um, a lot of participles, a lot of uh, sh- very short sentences, sometimes single word sentences. Nice. Uh, I I use infinitives. Uh, I use a lot of that stuff. I use um, uh, sentences that can be questions that can be flipped to be uh, 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 objections. Okay. Uh, it's you know, or and vice versa. Those are all little tricks. I have to know punctuation really well. I'm always telling kids, punctuation is a really good thing. There's a, there's a, I think it's on a poster and on a t-shirt. It says, let's eat, comma, grandma. Without yeah. the comma, you get, let's eat grandma. Yes. <laughs> That's stuck in my head, and it's really useful. There's also the book, Eat Shoots and Leaves. Yes. You know, and that's, those things, I mean, are, are funny and they're really helpful. So know what a colon can do, know what a semicolon can do, know what a comma can do, what a period, et cetera, et cetera. Another thing is I write most of my poems on a yellow legal pad with a pen. Interesting. That's how I like to write. I cannot write these on, on pads. I have to write them on the computer because I have to be able to move the lines around and see if they make any sense. And when I'm writing them, I, I usually start with a couple of core lines, like a core image, and I can build the poem from there. Yes. Another thing is because these three books are based on uh, narrative stories. I have to find stories that have, that I can, that I can show, you know, like two different points of view or two characters and not everything works for that. Um, there were a couple of fairy tales I wanted to write reversos on. The Brave Little Tailor was one, which is also called Seven in One in One Blow, where the tailor hits seven flies and everybody thinks he's killed, you know, lost. Oh. Um, and I could, I just couldn't, I don't know, I couldn't come up with something. Another one I couldn't was The Fisherman and His Wife, oh. where he finds this big magical fish and she keeps asking for more and more things. And finally, you know, they get nothing. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, those just did not work for me for whatever reason, but other things do. And I do take some liberties. I um, When I'm doing one character with two points of view, obviously that character doesn't necessarily have two points of view in the fairy tale. For example, The Little Mermaid. Yeah. So I have The Little Mermaid giving up her, her voice for love, but the other side of her brain going, don't do that. What are you, uh, you know, an idiot? And I thought, well, maybe she did think that at some point. I think that's okay to, you know, to, to, to write about that as well. So those are all, those are some of the aspects of process. I hope that's helpful because that's about No, very much. Um, So what we're sharing you with, the community that will be hearing this talk, is poetryteatime.com, our new, brand new website. And what it is, is it's a forum for reading aloud poetry. So you drink tea, you eat treats, and read poetry books. And we actually heard about you. (laughs) Exactly. We actually heard about you from one of our families who was engaged in that practice and was reading the reversos. And they went and made an attempt to write their own. So you've seen that. And that was really moving to us. And part of what I love that you've shared so far is the value in reading aloud, hearing the different voices. But then now I know our students. I know our kids. And they're going to want to play with the form. And so you're urging them to play and to recognize punctuation as a vital piece of communication. It's not just, I always talk in Brave Writer, grammar and punctuation aren't just about accuracy. They're about power in writing. 
Yes. Subverting the expectations of the reader. And so if you can gain some mastery, you get to really play. It's not just something that you're using to get an A on a test, right? That's a great line. I love that. (laughs) You mentioned that you used free writing in high school. I'm a huge Peter Elbow fan, and we've used free writing as a core part of our experience. Do you see free writing in relationship to poetry? What does free writing in poetry look like for you, different than prose? When I was the teacher, I, I took the first five minutes of each class, and I said, write whatever you want. Yes. I will not grade it. I will correct grammar. I mean, there are some people who don't even do that, but I, I, and I would say I'm doing that just to just to help you out, but there's no grades on it and you don't have to feel uptight about it. And I, there were marvelous things that people wrote. Um, I wouldn't, I would just tell people they're also free to write poetry. I wouldn't necessarily say we're now going to have free poetry writing because that might not work. No, that's true. Yeah. I mean, some people are just so intimidated by the idea of writing poetry, but I did get poems from people uh, because they felt good about doing that. Um, how, would so, you, how would you describe free verse when you made very clear in one of the videos I watched, you said that you really don't want students to only associate poetry with rhyme and that you found the free verse something that was really powerful. How do you define the difference between free verse and prose for students? I had a student say to me one time, it looks like free verse just means you stop your lines before you hit the right-hand margin. <laughs> and I thought, well, there's some truth to that. The rapping is not the same as prose, but what else would you say about it? You just asked the most difficult question because this is something that poets and I and other poets and I discussed all the time. Oh, great. And also uh, teachers, everybody discusses it. We had a big argument with, I don't remember who it was, but somebody online said, you know, poetry is just stuff with the lines broken up. And we're like, no, no, no. <laughs> Nikki Grimes, who's one of my favorite poets and favorite people, awesome. said, if you... If, if you write a, a so-called verse novel and there is no metaphor, you know, that you're using within like, you know, the first 25 pages, you have not written poetry. So Very good. I think metaphor is one thing, but, you, but there's metaphors in prose also. I think, oh God, this is so hard. I think imagery is really important. Mm. I think that... Um, a certain lyricism in language. I mean, even when even when poetry is kind of plain spoken, to me there's still a lyricism in it. That's very hard to define, but I think it's I think it's there. Like William, um, like William Carlos Williams, the Red Wheelbarrow. Yes. So it's so spare. You can just yes. feel that quality, yes. can't you? Yes. Yeah. There is something lyrical about it, and there's a, and then, and there's an image, and there's also something that startles you. That surprises me. That's something that at Hopkins always likes to say, that there's this surprise in, in poetry. Uh, and I think that that's really important. Um, I, this is, sounds so funny. I mean, a lot of times prose kind of walks along. Mm. Walks, you know? And I don't feel like poetry walks. Oh, God, that's beautiful. 
Oh. I just made that. I don't know where that just came that from. That so, just came out of my that head. That is so real, though. I feel it just when you say it. That's yeah. really beautiful. It does something else. It can skip. It can, it can you know, dance on tiptoe. You know, it can run. It can Fly. amble, which is a different... Amble is walking, but it's a very different, you know, kind yeah. of walking. And it just has a movement that's that's really, really different. And I do think the thing about metaphor and simile is really important. Yes. Sometimes it is tricky to, you know, to to define. I mean, and sometimes it's hard to, uh, you know, pinpoint, is that a poem? Is that not a poem? I've read things that have been published as poems, sometimes in The New Yorker, sometimes in other things that I go, not reading like a poem to me, I don't know, you know, but uh, uh. so that... That can also happen. But yeah, I think that I like that. I'm going to use that. that I just said about walking. <laughs> yeah, it's good. I, don't you love when you have a breakthrough like that? That's Yeah, wonderful. that was so strange, but I think that that's true. Yeah, you know? no, it fits for me. That That's beautiful. It, so it has a different gait. Poetry has a different gait than prose. Gait, that's the word. Gait. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Thank yeah. you. Yes. I do too. I really yeah. love that. I yeah, really yeah, love yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that... The short lines, that's a funny thing because I have actually seen poems that that don't do that, maybe deliberately. We yeah. someone wrote it almost like a paragraph, but you read it and you go, no, it's, it's a, it is a poem and it reads like a poem. Yeah. So, and I think I'm, I'm almost positive that the poet is doing that to just go, nah, 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 nah. You know, I mean, that's not it. You know, that is not it. You can't take the, you know, the the phone book or, or something and just break it up in lines and go, there's a poem for you, you know, correct. You know, wow. it, doesn't, it doesn't have to run now. Conversely, I have said this to people and they start getting mad at me, but if it does rhyme, I think it is a poem. That doesn't mean it's a good poem. It can be a horrible poem, but sometimes I almost call um, those, you know, uh, roses or red types of things. They really are more like rhymes than poems to me. That's like the essence of them. Rhyme, it's yeah. rhyme, yeah. They're, it's like a little rhyme. It's not actually poetry. Yeah, it doesn't rise to that level. Although, you know, parsing that out isn't necessary for children. I. Um, one of the things that I have enjoyed watching happen with Brave Writer students is they discover that they can play with language because we give so much room for that to happen. Have you read um, Susan? Oh, I'm going to forget her last name. Woolworth, I think she writes um, Poem Crazy, the book Poem Crazy. No. So she has a practice where you collect words for a whole week and you create word tickets we have our kids do them on post-it notes, but they can get them from anywhere, a billboard, a church bulletin, one of your books, anywhere that they find them. And then they create what she calls word sculptures. You gather items from the house onto a table and you just randomly stick words on them and see how the item and the word bump up against each other differently. So you might have a pair of chopsticks and the word avid get stuck to it and suddenly you think, well, what's an avid chopstick? Oh, how it's fantastic. Isn't that fabulous? Yeah, I, I love that. If you had any tricks for sort of shocking your senses around vocabulary, how do you get to know words in new ways? Oh boy. Uh, <laughs> sometimes I actually, you know, read books and I go, I don't know, what is that word? And then I actually have to look up the word. The other day I was on an airplane with my husband and my husband was reading um it was a short story in the new yorker and he said to me what does atavistic mean 
And I said, I am not 100% sure, but I think this is what it means. I think it means like a primitive impulse or something. And we looked it up and I went, yes, I was right. But a lot of times I'll come across words and I'll go, gee, I must look that word up. And then I forget to look it up. And then something always brings me back to having, you know, having to look that up. Also, um, because I sometimes write nonfiction, I come across all kinds of, uh, particularly about animals, all kinds of words that, you know, I wouldn't normally have come across. Uh, I I watch some of the shows on the cooking network, you know, food network. And you, and again, you know, there are words that just, yeah, 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 yeah. So there are, you know, there are things like that, but I also like to focus a lot on um, images. Mm. So it's not just the vocabulary word. I like to look at things and, see how they how they can surprise me and I can surprise myself if that makes any sense I mean I remember just one example very clearly we have a house in Connecticut as well you know where which we go to just relax and I do not write there except sometimes poetry I don't want to write anything else I want to be left alone but poetry just comes out you know you can't stop it sometimes my husband's word for that is oh you're you're poetizing again, you know, (laughs) he looks at my face. I'm like, "Mm." so one day I was sitting in the backyard and I I looked up, the sky was very blue and there was a plane flying across and I thought it was making stitches and this fabric of blue up there. And it was just a very interesting, powerful image. Yeah. But that's, the, the nice thing is I didn't plan to, to, you know, write a poem. I didn't plan to think about this. I think if you are open to imagery in general and surprises, um, these things can sometimes just like pop into your head. If, and if you try to like skew your brain just slightly, you know, like, and, and, and think, okay, it's a plane, but it also looks like something else to me that's when a lot of that stuff can come so I don't think so vocabulary I think is really important because again it's power of words what they can do I I love I loved words from the time I was tiny me too Um, another thing well and you and you don't talk down to kids like I love this book where you say my dear prevaricating pal like that's a that's a you know ten dollar word right there and the alliteration is wonderful and you just let it rip. You're not thinking, well, third graders won't know what prevaricating is. I love that. Well, that's really interesting because I've had this fight sometimes <laughs> with editors occasionally where someone will say that's too big a word. And I'll go, how is anybody going to learn the word, a, yeah. a word? If yeah. you do not have, now, if you, if all of your words are like that, that's not fair. That's not fair to anybody because right. it's too many things and nobody wants to be bothered that much. I don't want to be bothered. If, if yeah. I'm with something where everything is a word I don't understand, I'll just go, you're, you know, you're being pretentious, go away. You right. Know? right. But if there's atavistic, if there's a, a occasional word, I go, I really ought to know that word. Or if the thing it has, dare I say, charm, and I, and I go, see, that sounds good. I want, what the heck does that mean? Then, then you want to look it up or ask somebody. I mean, it's very easy to find out what something means nowadays with the internet, you know, or, or, you know, so I, and I think we're selling kids short if we don't have some, you know, bigger, bigger words. 
my neighbor upstairs um, is two years old, oh. and, he, and he's got his parents with him too. And uh, I knew his father when he, from the time his father was seven months old. So it's like a family thing. So I've been giving William big words from the time he was an infant. And knowing that he wouldn't necessarily know what they mean or he would never know what they mean or stick with him. But I wanted him to just like the sound of those words. So then then when he got older, I I, I sort of stopped giving him those big words. And now I'm sort of saying things that are actually words he will be able to recognize, but are slightly bigger. I didn't even realize I was doing it all the time, though. I would go up to him and he would be maybe he would cry or something would be wrong. And I'd go, that's ridiculous. So the other day, apparently he saw a little dog in a sweater on the street and he said to his mother, that's ridiculous. Oh my gosh. He understood totally what it meant. And I thought, oh, wow. So now I have to, you know, now I'm going around by pointing out things to him and stuff. And he's very good with words, but that's, that's how we learn stuff. Another thing I wanted to say, because, to me, this was just so important uh, in my love of words and learning words. My parents sang to me. They sang to me every single day. And what they sang, because we're talking about when I was a little kid, so we're talking, I was born in, I was born in 1948, so we're talking about, you know, like stuff from that period of time. But they sang the hits of the day, and they sang the stuff that they grew up with. So I was hearing things by Cole Porter, by Johnny Mercer, by Ira Gershwin, and they were incredible lyricists. This is not to say there are not incredible lyricists today, because there are. Right. That's the stuff that I grew up with. And they used words so well, and I just got to love them. So one of the things I always say is, you know, to parents is sing to your kids. It's really, it's really important. It's a great way, way to have um, language stick in your head. I remember songs much, but I can't remember my own poems. I mean, I'm terrible. Right. Isn't it amazing? I can remember songs. Yeah. And, and you really, you really can learn a lot. There's a lot, and there's a lot of people today who use words really, really well. And like words. I mean, rap is all about using words. Powerfully. Oh yes. my gosh. And, and in surprising new ways, ways exactly. you aren't expecting. No, I, I agree with you. I exactly. I, so, I mean, that's a very, very important thing to me, you know, to, you know, to, to learn more words and to also get a sense of for imagery. Yes. Metaphor and things like that. Yeah. Well, one of the last questions I wanted to ask you is you made a, your poems are about forgotten creatures of the deep sea. Um, you have the neglected first ladies coming out. I want you to talk about that a little bit and just how poetry can give voice to the voiceless or power to the voiceless. Because I think it's a, I mean, rap, that's why I'm thinking about this. When you bring up rap, that is, you know, the language forms of oppressed groups often have to come through the side door. They can't write the articles on the front page, right, of the New York Times. So we're going to have Billie Holiday's Strange Fruit to comment on lynching. It's not going to be an editorial. And if you move forward and you watch, like, the Black Power Movement and the way that they try to communicate political content through music, it's 
and its poetry is powerful. So that's one, you know, level that I understand it, but I would love you to talk about what you think it means and what it means to you. For the, well, it's two, it's, there's two different things. One is what you just said. People who, f- who feel or are powerless writing their own poetry. Yeah. Uh, or commenting on an issue. And, and by the way, there, uh, Tony Medina, who's an incredible poet, has just edited a book which is coming out called Resisting Arrest. Which is, yeah, and uh, I was amazingly honored to be asked to write a poem for it. I'm like, I don't, I don't know, I'm a white Georgia girl from Brooklyn, but, you know, <laughs> but I wrote something, and it was actually about my neighbor that I, you know, that he wow. is having to learn these words, and I hope that he will raise his voice, you know, against some of these horrible things that are being done. So, yes, I think that... Uh, Poetry is very powerful when it's, it's meant to be heard, I think. Um, so when people who feel powerless write poetry and get to read poetry, I think it, it, I think it really has an effect. And I also think it's something that a lot of people have really seized on yes. to present their, their cause and their, and, their, and their situation. That's one thing. But you also said something else. So there are neglected topics neglected beings, uh, things that people haven't thought about. And I think poetry can present those things uh, and, and, and make people think about them, uh, enjoy them, whatever. Uh, so I did a book called Rutherford B. Who Was He?, which is about the presidents. And someone asked me to do it, and at first I was like, I don't know anything <laughs> Most fantastic title. My gosh, I love it. That was, was, I can't take credit for that title. Uh, That title came from um, Stephanie Lurie, who at that time was uh, VP of of, um, Disney Hyperion. And by the way, Reverso came from my husband. I wanted to put that in. I I love it. Who was a little uh, girl at the time was calling them up and down poems. And my husband said, no, we need something better. We need something preferably Italianate. And he said, why don't you call them reversos? And I'm like, oh, my God, I love you. So, so good. Amazing. His name is Steve Barrison. I want to get that out there. He's just incredible. Absolutely. So, yeah, he's, he's really something else. But so, yeah, Stephanie said, why don't we call this Rutherford B? Who is he? It's a line from the, the poem, but, you know, I, I hadn't thought of it as the title. And I said, yeah. So that was very interesting to me because... The fact of the matter is, in doing this research, I realized we don't know very much, myself especially, about a lot of these people. Somebody said to me, who was the most boring president? I said, none of them were boring. They may have been bad presidents, but they weren't boring. They were, you know, they were president. Yeah. So then I said to my editor, um, who wrote Tim Moscovich, who is an incredible editor, I said, what, if, what about the first ladies? And everybody at Disney Hyperion liked that idea. So I I did that. That's coming out 2018. uh, Yeah, the illustrator is Nancy Carpenter, and she's fantastic. And that was really interesting to me, because if I knew little about the presidents, I knew even less about the first ladies. Nobody knows anything about most of these women. And they are really interesting people. I mean, all of them my opinion. Uh, so you're doing poetry about individual first ladies. How many did you end up picking? All of them. Every one? Every single one of them. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going to have to probably revise one of the ones about a first lady <laughs> because either she's going to be the nominee or she's going to be the president or one or the other. So. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah, you got to wait for that to happen. And yeah, maybe a first gent. We don't know, you know. So Right. Oh, my God. Wouldn't that be an interesting surprise ending? A first was, gent at the end no. of the first lady? We have to wait. We have no, you know, we can't, we have no choice. No, I love that. But that's really, um, gosh, I mean, immediately my mind is popping. I'm picturing these little presidential poetry tea times, you know, where they're reading about the presidents and the first ladies and celebrating it through poetry. Because one of the ideas that you said in your interview that I watched that um, is congruent with my values is that writing itself isn't a subject Writing is a means for expressing all subject matter. And so having a way to relate across the curriculum, using poetry to illuminate science, for example, I think is brilliant. Um, Finding poets who are commenting on, you know, cross-cultural experiences, historical events, wars. This is a way into the felt sense of history or science or math that isn't accessible to us in workbooks, for instance. Yeah, I I did an article which you probably came across because it's on my website. You're knocking poetry off the pedestal, and I always how do you use that? But one of the things I've always wanted people to do, and I hope that they do do, again, is to have if in schools to have kids work in pairs. If and if somebody's adept at poetry, do a poem on a subject while the other person does a a piece of prose on the subject, and and see what the difference is and how. You can cover something in different ways. Uh, how one thing probably stirs the emotions maybe more, and the other one maybe the cerebrum more or something. But I think it's really interesting to see how many different ways something can be covered, really, or discussed. Yes. So, yeah. I, I, you know, I'd like to see more of that, and that works with lots of subjects. I mean, poetry is, I think, a good way to get into things. Neil deGrasse Tyson would agree with that because he's talked about it on the show. I love him. Oh, me too. So so what would you say, let's have this be our last question. What would you say to the parent who has been damaged from school and is intimidated by poetry? Children, I have found, love poetry. You pull out poetry and they catch on very quickly. But there are many parents who feel nervous about reading it they think they have to analyze it or they have to do something with it how can you help a parent feel more comfortable with poetry after that hangover from school how about having your kid present the poetry book to you oh and i love it a, a book that the kid likes and is not frightened by and the parent can read this book over tea or whatever yes. with the kid um and also, yeah, I, you know, I don't think it's terrible to start with children's poetry for any parent. So I, here's a story to end with. So William's dad, my good friend, told me that he never liked poetry in his life. And then Mirror Mirror came out and they, he and his wife, Mary, and her parents all took turns reading the poems around the dinner table. And I said, did you like them? He said, yes. I said, Honey, it's not that you never you didn't like poetry. You just didn't find the poetry that you liked. There's poetry out there for everybody. So maybe if you start with you know some children's poetry, uh, you won't be so intimidated. 
Also, I think it's really important to know that you don't have to analyze. You really don't. That can never be said enough. The most important thing is just, is to read it, read it out loud, and enjoy the sound of it. And stop worrying about what it's about. That will come later on, especially if you have kids, because the kid will say, no, I think this means, or mom, dad, what do you think? Because these kids always do that, or they'll ask a question, I what does this mean? What do you, you know, what does it mean? And, you know, and you could say, well, let's talk about, it, you know, so I think, I think that's really important. The analysis, it's not that analysis, is, but I happen to love analyzing poetry, but I know a lot of people can't stand it. And it's, and there's no need to do that initially. I mean, initially that never works. No. You know, you have to just hear it and, and feel it. I remember being a kid and watching, um, they at that, we call them art films at that time, and not necessarily understanding what everything meant, but just feeling the film and feeling the images of it. And it's the same thing with with poetry. You don't have to understand every single word, and you probably never will with certain <laughs> certain things. Certain things have become some so archaic, or you know, or arcane that you don't even even know what they mean. I don't. I love Shakespeare. It's my favorite writer. I don't understand every single thing in Shakespeare because we don't use a lot of that language, but the sound of it is so wonderful. You know, the sense of it, you can get the general sense of it. So that's what I would say. Turn to your kids and say, what do you like? What, you know, what, what have you read in school? And, and, and and start with some of that and see where, where that goes. You could also find your friendly librarian and say, (laughs) You know, help! I want to find some poetry that's not going to intimidate me. And usually, you know, the librarian can can help. And, and if I'm obviously point them to your books, <laughs> I was going to say I'm going to put in a plug for myself. I actually think that the reversos have gotten a lot of people who didn't think they liked poetry interested in it because they're a game. That's you know, right. Playing a game is always fun. Uh-huh. So. Just look at look at them as a game and, and have a good good time with them. Oh well, I have loved this conversation. Me too. I'm your best friend. <laughs> <You're wonderful. laughs> yeah. Well, thank you so much, Julie. Thank you, I've really loved this, and we look forward to talking again when your book comes out. I would really thanks love for that. joining me today on this broadcast. We look forward to bringing you more interviews with poets in the future. In the meantime, I hope you'll put the kettle on. Pull out the books that you do have and share a lovely poetry tea time with your family.